This is Knesset Corner with Rabbi Dov Lippmann. I'm Scott Kahn. Today we're going to speak about Resolution 2334, passed on December 23rd, which says that all settlement activity by Israel in the West Bank, including East Jerusalem, is prohibited under international law. Rabbi Lippmann, you're a member of the party that is in the opposition right now. What's your take on the situation? When it comes to this particular issue, there's no opposition and coalition. There's no government and parties that are trying to topple the government. This is a resolution which is anti-Israel in nature. It's a resolution which is filled with flaws in terms of the facts on the ground. And it's a resolution which we absolutely condemn in terms of its passing. And I'll go a step further, and we condemn the American abstention, which allowed uh, the resolution to pass. Uh, just to highlight a few points, to call the West Bank Palestinian territories is just wrong. It was illegally Jordanian before 1967. The Jordanians have since rescinded any claim to that land. So now it's disputed territory. It's not Palestinian territory. It's disputed territory, which has to be worked out by the, uh, by the two parties that are involved, the Israelis and the Palestinians. So the, the UN resolution coming out and, and declaring it as Palestinian territory, that's flaw number one. Flaw number two is that you read that resolution and you walk away and you say, okay, Israel is to blame for the stalemate and, and settlement activity is to blame. Now again, we can have a separate discussion about settlement policy in Israel and what Israel should be doing and our party certainly disagrees with the government in terms of some of the parameters. But to, to not call out the Palestinian leadership directly for the incitement to violence and the terrorism makes it a completely lopsided resolution. There's one sentence there where they pay lip service to violence and terror and incitement, but to not call out the leadership of the Palestinian Authority directly for it and to call them to end it, that automatically, in my eyes and in our eyes, turns it into an, a biased anti-Israel resolution which goes along with uh, the UN's general approach towards Israel and therefore we condemn it in the strongest of terms. I assume the Kerry speech afterwards didn't make you feel any better. No, not at all. I, I watched the speech. I listened to uh, everything that he said. He didn't say anything new there in terms of the overall parameters that I've been talking about for 20 years in terms of res resolving the conflict. But to suggest that the reason why there hasn't been progress is because of Israel's settlement activity. And I want to emphasize, without distinction between the major settlement blocks and outside of the blocks, that is, again, completely unfair and completely untrue. In every single negotiations that have taken place, the major blocks have been discussed uh, on all sides as they're going to be part of Israel. Gush Etzion, Malea, Dumim, Ariel, no one has suggested that the major blocks will go to the Palestinian state if it ever is developed and established. And to suggest that construction in Efrat and in Malaya Dumim is the same thing as construction in sort of the isolated areas is completely unfair and again is a complete is, is actually a change from what's been talked about for 20 years. So not only did Kerry not in any way comfort me in what he said, I think he actually went against everything that's been discussed in all the parameters and all the previous U.S. administrations over the last 20 years. So we condemn the resolution, we condemn the speech. The one thing I will say, and I want to be very clear about this. I'm not suggesting that there is no blame towards Israel for the uh, anger, if I could use that terminology, that the U.S. administration feels towards 
Israel or towards the Prime Minister. Uh, there are certainly things that have been critical of the Prime Minister and the way he's handled uh, various things, including speaking in Congress right in the face of the, of the President, down the block from the White House, uh, about the Iranian deal. Uh, I didn't think that was the right thing, and I don't think that's the way that you foster good relationships. However, none of the things that I criticized the Prime Minister for are reasons for President Obama and the U.S. administration to come and throw all of Israel under the bus in response, and, and therefore were completely critical. The fact that United States Congress, both Republicans and Democrats, have condemned it. And I always feel that like we in Israel can be quiet. Let them do all the criticizing of what's happened. To hear Democratic leaders come out and say this is the worst possible thing that the executive branch could have done uh, towards Israel, I, I almost feel like, okay, we can now sit back and let them criticize in the internal U.S. political uh, sphere, and we don't even have to be uh, super strong in our condemnations. But when asked the question, I certainly condemn it. Let's talk a little bit about Prime Minister Netanyahu's blame in establishing the situation in the first place. You said obviously he's not entirely to blame. In fact, he's primarily not to blame. However, what is his role in this situation? I especially look at the, the months since the U.S. elections when I think there's been a little bit of euphoria in the Israeli government and even hubris uh, on a certain level uh, in terms of how we deal with this. You know, the talk of the legislation to uh, reorganize the settlement uh, enterprise and to do things which the Israeli attorney general said goes against Israeli policy, Israeli law, and international law. And we're saying, well, everything's going to be fine. January 20th, President Trump will come in and we can do whatever we want to do. So let's get the ball rolling now. That is something which people outside of Israel looked at in a very negative light and certainly felt like, oh my goodness, uh, they are going to destroy the idea of the two-state solution. In their minds, uh, this is creating uh, one greater Israel, and who knows what that's going to mean in terms of the Middle East. So this shook people up, certainly within the executive branch. Again, I want to be clear, no justification to then abstain in a resolution of this kind. But if you're looking for some kind of, what could Israel have done better to possibly stop this from happening, I think we could have taken a pause after the U.S. elections and not rushed to action right away in the face of a sitting U.S. president. That's number one. But number two, there is no foreign minister in the state of Israel. The prime minister is the prime minister. It's a full-time job to be prime minister of Israel. It should be a full-time job to be foreign minister of Israel. And the foreign minister of Israel is the top diplomat who is working nonstop, 24-7, to make sure that a resolution of this kind doesn't happen, to work with the various countries that are involved to see how we can prevent it. Israel was caught asleep at the wheel. We assumed we have this covered. We'll talk to Trump. We'll talk to Egypt. Everything will be fine. We went into Shabbat last week. Uh, assuming that this wasn't even happening. And then all of a sudden it's brought and it, it passes. There's a lack of foreign policy strategy, which is hurting the state of Israel. And people could be the greatest supporters of the prime minister. There's no way in the times that we live in for a person to be a full-time prime minister and a full-time foreign minister. And Yair Lapid, the chairman of our party, again from the opposition, called out to the prime minister and said, appoint a foreign minister. There are enough people in the Likud, in the Bayad Yudi, wherever you want to look for 
Torah. Good, in Kulanu, people in the government right now, qualified people, appoint them as prime minister, as foreign minister. This is a good thing for the state of Israel. You know, we could be an opposition party, but we want what's best for Israel. And we're not saying, okay, topple the whole government. This We're saying, appoint a foreign minister. Let there be a foreign policy, a foreign policy strategy that's lacking right now. And again, I'm not blaming that for what happened in the UN, and I'm not suggesting now I understand why it happened, but Israel could be doing much better. And perhaps, perhaps a strong foreign minister with a foreign policy strategy could have done something to deflect this and to prevent it from happening. In your opinion, is the reason that Netanyahu has not appointed a foreign minister because of his own hubris or because he's holding it up as a political perk for a party that has yet to join the government? I, I don't know the answer to that question, and I don't want to try to suggest that I can understand the prime minister's decision-making. There's no doubt that in the beginning of this government, the understanding was that this is in order to try to bring in other parties, whether it was Isaac Herzog and the, and the Labour Party and the Zionist Union, and that was the understanding. But now there's no possibility of that happening, and you ask yourself why. The only thing I'll say is this. I've spoken to many, many people uh, who have worked in the prime minister's sphere, and you reach a certain point, and this is why I support term limits, you reach a certain point where... Um, the idea of bringing other people into the decision-making process, the idea of uh, consulting, the idea of handing over foreign policy to someone else, even in your own party, that seems to become an impossibility. And the prime minister uh, has control and, and likes to have control. And uh, it's unfortunate because I think in this situation, uh, it's actually damaging Israel overall and even Israel's security. How about Bibi's response to the resolution after the fact? So this is an area where you know, Israel really lacks checks and balances. Here you have a prime minister who, members of his own party, you know what, I'll put myself aside as a member of Yeshatid and the opposition. Members of his own party said, how do you respond to a resolution of this kind by canceling the visit of the leader of Ukraine to Israel? Uh, yes, Ukraine voted in support of the resolution, so have him come to Israel and sit with him and explain to him why this was wrong. Don't cut off relationships in response. Who are you punishing by cutting off those relationships? Again, this is not Yair Lapid, this is not me. These are members of Likud saying what has happened over here. The Prime Minister's response was super strong seemed to lack any nuance whatsoever. And one other word, no strategy. What's the strategy? What are we trying to accomplish by doing this? So that was why the chairman of our party, Yair Lapid, uh, called and said we have to have a meeting in the Foreign Affairs and Defense Committee just to hear the strategy. The prime minister should be beholden to someone to explain that. The chairman of that committee is from the Likud party, Avi Dichter. We'll see if he calls the prime minister uh, to do so. But citizens of Israel who are listening to this, you could be the greatest supporter of the Prime Minister, greatest Likud supporter, greatest Netanyahu supporter. You want to live in a country where there's some checks and balances, where there's some system in place to check even the Prime Minister you support to make sure that there's something happening which is good for the state of Israel and that somehow we're not hurting ourselves in the process. And people in Likud have called the Prime Minister out for this. There doesn't seem to be any strategy uh, whatsoever, and that's unfortunate, because when a major event happens of this kind, where a resolution which is negative towards Israel, anti-Israel, Democrats and Republicans alike are against it, 
there has to be a real strategy in terms of how is Israel going to respond, and not just a prime minister who seems to be upset, angry, disappointed with what has happened, and sort of shooting from the hip in response, instead of some kind of a real thought-out plan, how are we going to respond to this? So do you have any idea of what that plan should be, if there actually were some sort of strategy? So I don't suggest to be uh, an expert on all the information here. A lot has gone on behind the scenes here. So my, my suggestions would certainly be repairing relationships and working on relationships and strengthening relationships and explaining Israel's case to those countries that we feel that we can explain them to, not outright enemies of Israel, but those that we have relationships with. I don't believe that threatening boycotts and cutting off relationships uh, is, is the way to deal with that. I think that you know here we complain all the time about those who boycott us over our policies, and now all of a sudden we're boycotting them uh, over their policies. I don't think that's the way Israel should be dealing with it. But again, a thought-out strategy uh, to make the case for Israel, to explain what's happening on the ground, to explain Israel's policies, uh, that should be the, w- be the way we go about it to prevent any further damage uh, in the UN and any other realms. This has been Knesset Corner with Rabbi Dov Lippmann. I'm Scott Kahn.